Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is The Guardian. These are multinational companies extracting an Australian resource selling to international customers at a price that's squeezing Australian industry. And I still, even last week, got messages from major manufacturers who are saying that they cannot secure contracts from some of the gas producers, like get, even get them to come back to the table with a better better offering. And it's that take or leave mentality that really um, is a massive irritant from my perspective. Hello, I'm Sarah Martin, Guardian Australia's Chief Political Correspondent. This is Australian Politics and I'm filling in for Catherine Murphy while she takes some leave to pen her quarterly essay. Today I'm speaking with Ed Husick, the Minister for Industry and Science. We talked about a number of important issues for industry policy in Australia. We discussed challenges around skills and workforce shortages, the brain regain, why Australia is playing catch-up with AI and robotics, gas shortages and how industry will adjust in line with the government's climate and energy policies. Minister Ed Husick, Minister for Industry and Science, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Sarah. Um, Now, I feel like we need to have a little, like, don't hang up. We're going to talk about industry policy, but it's going to be really exciting. <laughs> yes, no, people. It's look. This will be a this will be a funky expedition. Trust me, <laughs> a funky expedition. Yeah, into you heard the, there in, first into the badlands of industry policy. Well, look, I, I wanted. I mean, I know you've you've obviously been in the in the job for a few months now. You've been holding a series of industry roundtables mm. in the lead up to next week next week's Jobs and Skills Summit. Before we get into the nitty gritty policy detail, I wanted to ask you, having sat through those um, five roundtables. Mm. What is the thing that you're most worried about? What what's what's keeping you awake at night? Well, if I can pick up on your first point, uh, jokingly about industry policy, yes, I, I could imagine people trying to lift their eyelids over their foreheads on that. But <laughs> people do think about it, particularly when it comes to this. And I, I keep saying our ambition is to recognise the power of Australian ideas like to make a difference, to improve mm. the well-being of the nation. So it's mm. not just coming at it from a this is about making a lot of money perspective, but making a difference in, in communities across the country. Mm. And when you start talking like that, people go into different areas, be it from climate change to health to the food we eat, uh, like there's a whole range of different activities where people do get very energised and interested. And in this being able to have the people around with skills, the investment in human capital to bring those ideas to life, that's the big issue here. Mm. And while we do have a lot of talent and we are trying to do a number of other things we may touch on during the, the course of our chat, being able to have people to bring that 
all to life and to make it work, that's the big thing. So we do, on a number of areas, need need that to happen and to think all that stuff through. Mm, okay. So obviously there's no secret that workforce challenges are an issue that have been mm. raised by Every, everyone. every everyone. Is that the thing that concerns you most? And I guess, you know, obviously there's been a lot of talk about lifting the, the number of skilled migrants coming into the country. Mm-hmm. Why can't we just turn on the tap? What's the impediment to that? Because we need, uh, well, let's look in the digital and tech space. I mean, we've set a target of 1.2 million people employed in tech-related jobs by 2030, not just because it's a handy um, stat to reach for, but because it'll tell us about how we've got that skill embedded across businesses And also when you use technology to problem solve, that's a pretty handy mentality or attribute to have. And when we look at those things, there's 861,000 workers now. We got another 360 or so that we've got to get. But then you think there are people retiring too. Mm. So we lose. So as, as much as we replace, we lose. So when you look at it, skilled migration is just one part. It's about getting the people in with the skills entering the workforce in the first place from either a TAFE or a Mm -hmm. university background. It might be people in the workforce that change jobs. Like I've literally spoken with cooks who've become coders, Mm. you know, changed professions and gone in there and we need more of that. Skilled migration's in there. Maybe getting people who are retiring holding back a bit. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is bringing back Australians who thought that no one was interested or valued their skills. Mm. So there's like five different pathways there of which skilled migration is one and an important one. Mm. But as I've said to people, Sarah, too, and I know this is going to sound like a bit odd on the ear, but I've also made the point, even if we filled every local job with a local when it comes to, say, digital tech, I'd still want us to be bringing people in Mm. because in tech, as you well know, everything's changing. Someone's doing something different all the time. Someone's trying to get an edge we can't lose that. And if it means that we have to bring people in to build our own knowledge base and to, to keep current with what's happening internationally so we don't fall behind, we, we do need to have an open mind about that. But mm. it is tricky because understandably, we want to ensure that we skill up people for good, long-term, secure work that's well-paid and then also meeting the needs of business because we just there is so much pressure on right now by not having skilled people. And it's reverberating in ways you're seeing, like with supply chain problems mm-hmm. we're having. So getting that balance right is important, but doing it in a way that's not like what we had under the coalition, which is just, you know, bring them all in, flood in the market, temporary basis, you know, what type of impact that had on wage suppression and underemployment. Mm-hmm. We, we we can do this in a smart way, but not the coalition way. Mm, okay. Um, and I'll come back to that, that question. But in terms, I know you've talked a lot about this sort of brain regain, mm-hmm. why why have people... Which I understand is your favourite term. Well, I prefer brain gain. I just okay. think it's simpler, it's catchier, um, rolls off the tongue. But anyway, you're... you're, you're, you're I'm yeah. passing this on to the marketing <laughs> department, trust me. Okay, so, so brain regain. Why have we lost so many people? How do we get them back? Some of it's understandable, Sarah. Like some of it is people, and you totally get it, just like some people want to have a gap year and travel the world. There are others that want to pursue their ideas in another part of the world where a market might be bigger. But uh, the thing that's concerned me is when people have felt, well, Australia doesn't get what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Australia won't back where I'm going and I've got to go somewhere to get the capital and backing that will bring my idea to life. Mm. Uh, one that's really at the fore- forefront of my thinking is in quantum, which for a lot of people, quantum computing is something that's so alien to them they wouldn't get, but it's going to be massive in terms of what it can do to to churn through data. Why is that a big deal? Imagine being able to 
you know, find new medicines. AI has already started that process of identifying new antibiotics mm. that would have taken years for human researchers to just crunch through that data. And AI can do way more than that. Mm. Um, and or sorry, yeah, quantum computing can do way more when paired with with AI. Now we've got a lot of good talent here, but they're finding it hard to get the money that they need, the capital mm. they need to grow, and to be able to find the talent that they need as well. And there is a big temptation to see like, all those people go offshore. So we need that talent here because mm. the way that economies are going, a lot of other countries get that if they had, do not get technology and the way that it's applied within their own countries, they will be, they'll fall behind. And mm. as I've said elsewhere, we'll have a situation that I'm concerned about that you'll have economies that are either makers or takers, mm. They're makers of ideas and the conversion of that, or they'll be taking someone else's idea. And I I just, I'm damned if, uh, you know, the biggest ambition we've got is to be the best consumer on an app store. Mm. Like we've got to be able to, to convert that, create jobs, employment, and not have people feel like the only way they're going to get ahead is if they leave Australia. We mm. can do better than that. So, I mean, there's a lot of really interesting stuff happening. I know like with health workforce and, mm. and AI, there's some really interesting developments in the UK has put mm-hmm. quite a lot of money into that sort of work. Doesn't this need the government to step in? Mm. Um, what is the role of government here and how are you going to use uh, your portfolio to try and foster that um, culture, I guess, that we're, is lacking at the moment? Well, And it's good. I mean, you mentioned, uh, I mean, the whole movement around personalised health and the other thing is too, personalised education, AI being able to work out aptitude and mm. then tailor and grow someone's skills this is like something I'm really excited about longer term that can bring out the best of people mm. instead of writing people off and thinking, oh, well, they, they you know, we can't actually train them in a conventional education framework. Uh, th- these things that complement each other um, will be really important. And the role of government can happen on a number of levels, not the least of which we we committed and we said we would um, put aside $15 billion for a co-investment fund, the National mm-hmm. Reconstruction Fund, targeting a number of areas, but to make sure that, again, we work with superannuation or venture capital to provide that money there for Australians who've got those ideas and are ready to grow a business mm. um, onshore. In this, in this case, with what you asked me around preventative health, um, we specifically dedicated $1.5 billion sub-fund in a in our reconstruction fund on medical manufacture mm-hmm. and how we can support growth there. I'm doing dedicated work around national quantum strategy. We're also going to be doing stuff on robotics and AI and getting all that working together because, again, in health, just picking up off your question, robotics is a is a big deal. I've been able to use cobots to cut knees, open mm. up knees. Well, they're Who's okay, fake knees, fake knees. Right. It's not, okay. not in the caucus. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> uh, but... Um, you know, the, the precision that can be applied in the robotics that's being used mm. in surgeries now, uh, along with AI, that this stuff is happening, that people don't necessarily have any inkling that is occurring, but mm. it is improving and it's working with people. It's not replacing people. Mm. It's upskilling humans to work and improve. And this is what I come back to. It's about well-being, having a wider view about this. It's not just about making a buck. It's about making a difference and using ideas to power that. Mm. Okay. So what is the, I mean, and, and I want to also talk about heavy industry in a second, because mm-hmm. obviously your portfolio covers the, the gamut, but in terms of this, this field, which is super fascinating, what's the, what's the most exciting thing you've learned or heard in the, in the past few months since you took over the portfolio? Oh, I, I mean, I come back to that whole quantum um, computing thing and being able to 
like at a subatomic level, manufacture at that level. Mm-hmm. Well, he's just mind blowing. And I'm not even sure I know what that means. How how do we manufacture at a subatomic well, level? Well, it's it's basically when you watch and the, the way in which uh, silicon um, quantum computing, you know, with the former Australian of the Year, Dr. Michelle Simmons, with the way that they have been able to work it and see see all that and potentially create chips that could be used for quantum computing, or what you see elsewhere, quantum brilliance out of spin out from um, ANU here in Canberra, their quantum computing helping power the the Pawsey supercomputer mm. that's being used again, for the super, uh, the square kilometre array in WA, which mm-hmm. will basically, you know, um, give us further sight into the or vision into the um, universe mm. and be able to determine a whole lot or detect a whole lot of stuff that previously we just couldn't. Mm. I mean, this is all like these are Australians teaming up with people from overseas, working on Australian soil, making big moves, reinvigorating that faith in Australian ideas and know-how, smarts mm-hmm. and know-how. Um, that stuff is really impressive mm. to see. And I know you've spoken about, you know, your, how, how I think it burns you, the, the fact that Australia is has been listed as very <laughs> um, yeah. uh, very low on the list of, of how economically complex the, 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 um, the nation is. Can you talk me through that a little bit? What, mm. why, why is that so important and what's the risk for the country here? I think there are a number of parts of the country where you would think that or believe that they would have a an alternate view, but there are people that are getting that we need to think ahead. So, for example, you know when I you know work with my WA colleagues, they're thinking about what next. Mm. Like they value enormously and respect the contribution of resources, but what next? Mm. And there is a massive distortionary effect, obviously, by the dominance of of mining in this country, but. Um, with the greatest of respect, I, I don't want us to be just recognised as a hole in the ground. Mm. Like we have very smart people that have made advances in mining as well. I mean, AI and robotics in mining has been mm. huge, but there's there's a lot more that we do need to do. And changing that and re like starting to climb back up that economic complexity ladder is going to take time. But it's something we should be focused on as a country. Mm. Why? Because as I said earlier countries are getting and we're competing against those countries in the way that they use technology. AI feeds off data, identifies trends, you apply it to improve the way you work. Every single business, your business, everyone that is listening in some way, shape or form are trying to use technology to be able to sharpen the way they work and to secure jobs longer term. And we've got to do that. And it's there's a whole host of different moving parts from the basic um, to applied research we do in this country, the way industry works in with uh, people in universities and elsewhere and, you know, scientists and researchers, the the way we apply that and problem solve uh, and then see more growth longer term in jobs uh, is really important. But also too, you know, having a, a mindset as well that as we apply technology that people win, that it's mm. not you know, like there's a lot of people that think, well, the more we automate, the less we have of work. There mm. is that danger, absolutely, mm. but it doesn't have to be that is the logical progression. Mm. And if we think ahead, get our act together, there are manufacturers I've visited that have automated their production lines and still employed more people, mm. but with a higher skill rate that then equals a higher wage rate. Mm. We, we can do that stuff. Mm. And uh, and I, I wanted to delve into this a bit because you've sort of got 
a portfolio that is is sort of like the past and the future. Mm-hmm. You've got you know heavy industry. You you've you've been obviously been speaking to um, people from the mining sector, mm-hmm. from gas and coal uh, producers. Um, at the same time as you're looking at the future and robotics and automation mm-hmm. and quantum computing, et cetera. So I guess in, in terms of that tension, I wanted to just ask you about your, your consultation with um, heavy industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a huge overlap here also with the government's uh, plans for uh, climate change. Yep. Um, what are you hearing from those, I don't want to say old-fashioned industries, but those traditional heavy industries yeah, and, what, and what are their concerns? Well, I, obviously they've got a, a number of things. They're thinking ahead about the the way in which they use energy and the type of energy that they use and clearly competing on the world stage. We've got not only, obviously, you know, we're dealing with the overhang of the pandemic, impact on supply chains, but we've also got that clearly that big geopolitical question about the way that trade is shaking out as a result of, of tensions that quite clearly everyone knows are there and we've got to contend with. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that keep them up at night and clearly, you know, and also getting the workforce in place, that that's big for them. But what is impressive is that they do want to uh, use new, particularly in terms of new, new technologies like hydrogen, mm. There are a number of them that are actively engaged in, well, how do we use this? I visited with the PM earlier in the year up in Gladstone, Rio Tinto's Yarwin facility. It's an alumina refinery and they're they're well advanced in thinking, well, how do we use hydrogen instead of, you know, gas or or, um, coal-fired electricity to power our our operations? Mm. Um, And the other thing is too, it's not just a feel-good sentiment. Their investors are saying like tapping the table and saying, okay, where are we at? Mm. Um, we need to get ahead. And, you know, the, the logical conclusion or assumption from all that is that, you know, whether or not they'll be financed longer mm. term if they don't get their act together. So, you know, heavy industry is thinking a lot around that, around green steel and green aluminium uh, and making sure that the products we need are met in a way that has less of a footprint, a mm. carbon footprint. And so it is impressive to see then think about that. But it's also, there are a whole lot of others, manufacturers, you know, for instance, food and thinking, well, how do we, and when there's a, how do we, one, produce food that we can manufacture in a climate that's changing? And how do we meet, for instance, um, protein needs without necessarily relying on meat? Mm. I mean, I I personally think this is the big challenge for us. How do we feed the planet Mm. in, in those in environments and there's a lot of work being done from the CSIRO through to through to industry uh, about like it says that whole you know alternative protein movement um, that's occurring that I, I think we've got to find ways to make that happen because some of the other tensions you said for instance methane mm. um, you know we we know that livestock produces a hell of a lot of it how do we you know not necessarily have to rely on livestock for that to occur, but still provide protein for growing countries in our own region. Mm. So again, problem solving, ideas, having the the financing, the human capital side, getting all that stuff linking in together, 
I mean, that's why this portfolio and working in with others is so interesting. Mm. So obviously government has begun consultations on the safeguard mechanism and mm-hmm. there is a lot of speculation about how trade-exposed, emissions-intensive yeah. industries are going to be protected. What ideas have you heard in your consultations so far that you you, you like the sound of? Well, to be frank with you, I haven't had, uh, when it comes to safeguards, that there hasn't been a big expression um, of concern or necessarily putting ideas forward. I think, mm-hmm. as I said earlier, industry gets that they do need to reduce emissions, source alternate um, forms of energy. The, the challenge is, Sarah, that some of the, like around hydrogen, you know, developing that technology in a way that uh, can meet their needs, but also at the price that they're used to, mm. and that it's not too heavy a, a burden, that's a really big challenge around mm. hydrogen. Um, there are some industries too, and the reason I've sort of got a bit uptight around gas prices is because gas is used as a feedstock for some in terms of chemicals, plastics, and you know if we've got you know some of those prices going through the roof in the way that they are, it puts pressure on them where there's no alternative. Mm. So there's still a role in until we find an alternative for gas in mm. in that process, which I know some people will get uptight about in terms of listening to the podcast, but unfortunately it's a reality we've got mm. to contend with. So, um, you know, again, I, I do very much get that sense that industry gets it, their investors expect them to get it, and obviously government uh, action is important. And having – and the action's important too because for a lot of industry, if I may end on this point, um, some of them it's tough to go one out. Some have the resources to do so, a lot of others don't. But if as a community through government there's an expression of will that says this will be the standard, it makes it a lot easier because people don't feel like, well, if I do the right thing and someone doesn't, like why should I be penalised for mm. it? So working in together, and I think that's why the BCA and AIG and a lot of other groups have backed in what we're proposing with respect to use of the safeguards mechanism mm. that was come that was you know, developed by Tony Abbott's government. Mm. Um, you've voiced some fighting words on on the gas trigger and the potential for, for price to be a, a trigger for that. Mm. Um, how confident are you that the sector is going to respond and that some of those pressures that you're talking about in terms of feedstock for, for manufacturing mm. are going to – are they going to see some relief? Well, uh, there's um, – I think the gas producers are – are getting it, but it's taken them too long, frankly, to do so. And I still get uh, manufacturers contacting me that they are not being given contract prices that you know, are in line with what people have received. They don't. They recognise times change. A lot of the manufacturers, but you know, the problem has been the contracts that have been offered. The prices in there are radically different mm. to what's been there before. A lot of manufacturers, if I can put it this way, they made a bet. They thought spot prices would stay at a level until they got a better contract. Mm. And then we saw what happened earlier in winter mm. when those prices went through the roof. And, yeah, I, I, I'll say it again. These are multinational companies extracting an Australian resource, selling to international customers at a price that's squeezing Australian industry. And I still, even last week, got messages from major manufacturers who are saying that they cannot secure contracts from some of the gas producers, like get, even get them to come back to the table with a better better offering. And it's that take or leave mentality that really um, is a massive irritant from mm. my perspective because I do think I appreciate that those producers have got the gas producers, 
some of the best market conditions in a long time. And that's offensive to say, given the international pressures that have led to that. Mm. Um, I get that. And they've got responsibility to shareholders, but also they operate in an Australian market um, and they should be mindful of social license because mm. there are a whole lot of people to make what they get happen. Like it requires coordination and cooperation from a lot of people and they should just Oh, I frankly think they need to remember that. Mm. And it's obviously our resource as Australians. Yes. So um, fighting words, if, if it's not changing their behaviour, um, what more can the government do? Well, I, I think we've got to change and you've seen some great work from Madeleine King on extending the life of the, the trigger and we do need to look at how we reform the trigger because at the moment in the way that the Turnbull government set it up it doesn't get activated by price and there's some stuff around heads of agreement where we need to negotiate with those like better conditions with the gas companies, all that has to happen. But uh, I, I do think, you know, I, I just don't feel like the gas companies up until recently have played ball. There's some suggestion that they will, but until it translates into better prices, you know, I'm not going to remain, I won't remain or won't be convinced, mm. I should say. And what about a super profits tax? Because that's obviously also be, been part of this discussion. Um, Jim Chalmers has been a bit cold on the idea. Do you think it should be on the table? I, I think, uh, well, <laughs> I'll just say I, I, I'm very mindful of the PM's very firm view that there's going to be no such such uh, tax and Maybe so I'm not, not in this term. What about in the second, second term? I mean, the I'm polls are looking any, good, Ed, who's it? Well, Sarah Martin, I won't, uh, as much as I love the podcast, make any career-limiting <laughs> moves on here. Uh, what I will say is, though, you know, like it looks impossible now, but, it, you know, those things sometimes, as I've said elsewhere, become probable if we don't see movement and people should be mindful of that. Now, um, the, the only thing that went the gas producers way over winter is that we didn't have the similar... Uh, you know, drops in temperature that we experienced in June. Uh, and that really, like, really Mother Nature saved them, but mm. that's not, that is not a recipe or a sustainable recipe at all mm. for long-term success. Mm. And, and just quickly, um, jumping back to the safeguard mechanism, is, if I may, um, the Greens have obviously said they'll use that negotiation uh, to, to, to uh, try and push the government on new fossil fuel mm. projects. They're right, aren't they, that if new fossil fuel projects are allowed into the system, that that's going to increase the burden on other industrial emitters to make greater cuts? I, look, I, um, there are some things that have, that have been expressed uh, by the Greens. I get why they're doing it. I'm not, I approach this not as a zealot on either mm. side of the debate. Mm. And, uh, I, you know, we just need a practical uh, outcome. I get the mm. point that's being made there with respect to other emitters, but but the other thing is too, industry also gets that they do need sources of supply mm. until the technology is there to create the alternative that they can take up. Mm. Um, if there are, I, again, I know I'll get um, pushback on on this point, but I'm just I'm just direct and frank with people. Mm. Like if there are other uh, you know sources of gas that can be. Uh, and particularly to be able to have it in a way that is directed towards the needs of Australian industry um, and they stack up environmentally and economically, then I, I think we do and we should explore that. But at the same time, I think there is a, um, there is a big appetite to find ways to reduce emissions mm -hmm. in big leaps. And you've got a government now 
in our government that's committed to, to work with people to drive that. You didn't have that enthusiasm or commitment to that by the previous government. Mm-hmm. And can I just say, please do not underestimate what that does, the signal it sends to industry and others that if we work together, we can have meaningful reduction and to offset some of the stuff that we've talked about uh, before. So I, 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 I'm more optimistic and I do hope that people see that, you know, if we do, we just can't flick the switch on gas. We do need to see the downward mm-hmm. trajectory that will be um, encouraged through the uptake of other energy sources, solar, wind, hydrogen, others. Um, so there is a lot that we can do and we just got to work together on it. Okay. See, I told you industry policy would be really, really interesting. Exactly. And I think, I think. These people who I doubted, even, Sarah. <laughs> I haven't even scratched the, like I've, I've, I've only got through half my list of questions to, to ask you, Minister. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank I really appreciate it. And, and hopefully I'm, we'll get you back. I'm so glad you ignored the notes that were being slipped under the door <laughs> saying, we've got to go, we've got to go. And I'm I, like, no. No, we shall not be disturbed. I'm committed uh, to the podcast. Thank you so much. And um, you better respond to that note under the door. And um, thanks again for thank joining you. us. Thank you. This episode was produced by Daniel Simo. The executive producer is Miles Martignoni. Thanks for listening. I'll be back with you next week. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.